into another episode of the School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Canelo, joined by Adam, Brian, and Chris. Uh, the crew's back together this week to discuss some of the happenings today. And that today, by today, I mean day of recording on Sunday. You guys will be listening on Monday. Um, just going over what happened and, and what, what to look for in the coming weeks. And I thought one of the biggest things starting off just to talk about West Ham was the high pressing and how we started off well, started pressing that back line, causing some trouble, but things changed and, and, and it kind of fell apart from there. And Adam, let's go to you first. Explain what you saw with the high pressing to start the game and how that kind of shaped everything as the game went on. Sure. Uh, so like you said, uh, really from the opening kick, we were looking to put a lot of pressure on their back line when they were on the ball and you're looking to force turnovers in dangerous areas. That's what the high press is, is really all about. And then you can hopefully turn those turnovers into quick chances. Uh, we didn't necessarily force as much as I would have liked. Uh, and the other side of that high press is that sometimes you get beat on a quick counter or over the top uh, if you don't have defenders who can stand up and, and play that kind of way. And I, I hate to do it because I feel like it's it's a cheap shot, and I do it always. But I, I think the conversation there probably has to start with Mason Holgate. Uh, the, the first West Ham goal that was scored, uh, it was a bad, you know, not a great pass from Ghana into Shank, who did not have a good game, and we'll talk more about that too, who couldn't control it. And then it was three passes later, West Ham was in on a two-on-one, and the, the biggest part of that was that Holgate, looked to step up to a man at the halfway line that he never really could get to. Uh, and he was the last line of defense. There were no midfielders around because everybody was pressing up. And then uh, two passes later, it's a two-on-one in behind him. And if you're going to play that high-pressing style, you've got to have center backs that can keep up uh, when those balls go over the top. But you also have to have center backs that have half a brain that can read the play a little bit better uh, than, than Holgate does. And, and it got us burned early. And it was kind of from there that the whole thing, whole thing fell apart. Yeah. So do we, just to kind of wind it back to a more um, thirty thousand foot level, do we hate the high press as an idea in a vacuum against a team like West Ham? Because I, I look at it and I see their midfielders and their defenders. You know, Mark Noble and Pedro Obiang don't really scare me. I, I feel confident in saying that you know Ganon Schneiderlin and those guys should be able to nick the ball off of them. So is it a is it a failure in idea or is it a failure in application today? I mean, I thought the the idea was was good. I thought, you know, well, let me rephrase that. In a vacuum against that team, yes, the idea is good. But you have to also understand what you're going to get from your back line when you press that way. And you know that Mason Holgate is not the guy that uh, <laughs> that you want having to make a quick quick second decision in a two on two going the other way and, and he got beat. Um, and again, like I said, I think from that point, some of the tactics fell off because we just kind of could never get back on track. Yeah. yeah and that's and, the thing. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, I, the problem is we don't have the speed in midfield to play a high press. Like you, and the first goal is an example. Like honestly, yeah, Holgate shouldn't have stepped, but at the same time, how he's he took a step, you know, in the time the ball came in, 
to when it went back out, basically. And it was a combination of some brilliant one-touch passes that they probably could not recreate. I mean, these were bouncing balls, flicks on the outside of the feet. It was a very nice combination. But Mm -hmm. when the ball's coming in to the halfway line, you have Ghana and I think Schneiderlin, who are about two yards from the uh, West Ham guy who played the ball up to the forward. And they've got maybe a foot or two on him. There's no, like, if you have anyone with decent speed, they're going with him. And that ball over the top doesn't get played, or it's very speculative out to the side. And so to me, it is a little bit of Silva needing to understand what he's got in the midfield. And we just, I don't think we can play a high press unless you're willing to you know, run that risk. And drop Schneiderlin probably (laughs) is is really the the answer there because, you know, for all of his strengths, you know, speed ain't one of them. Uh, Right. And and even then. Real deep. It's a problem. Right. And maybe Benny can do it. You know, now the other thing would be if we were playing more of a 3-5-2, you might be able to pull off some of that. But three, five, two, which requires having more than two center backs available. Well, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. It, it wasn't an option today, but yeah, I exactly. to me this was primarily on Silva, coupled with some poor execution by players. But I don't know. I don't know that we would have gotten anything more than a draw out of this game if the players yeah. performed as expected. Yeah, I, th- I think. I don't know. I mean, the high pressing clearly, it, it you could see at, at points where we got a little bit out of control and that led to some of the um, early, at least, counterattacks by um, West Ham. But, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's hard when you only have two center backs. And, and, and I don't think in that situation, Holgate is the person that Silver probably wants and that, uh, you know, playing that other center back role, even though he has been playing well. Uh, over the course of the season up until today, or better than expected, I should say. Um, <laughs> but definitely, uh, definitely not ideal. The high pressing didn't, didn't work today, uh, as we all uh, witnessed, uh, today. But Adam, you mentioned when you were talking about the high pressing and how everything was coming together today and how it, one thing led to another. You mentioned Cheng Tosun's performance today. Uh, guys, Chris will go to you on this. What exactly are we seeing from Chank right now? Is there anything to be excited about? Is there anything to be that you know what is happening here? Because he hasn't scored any goals. He looked like he was going to score today at least a few times. Couldn't put in the back of the net. Kind of been a disaster start for him this season. Yeah. So I think the one thing that we need to kind of couch this uh, Chank discussion in is that he's extremely good at most all of the things that don't involve putting the ball in the back of the net. And I understand that that, that could be a little bit hard to perceive and it, it's frustrating, but he's contributed all season in terms of moving defenders around with his, um, with his runs and playing nifty passes and that kind of thing. But, and you know, you can actually live with that in terms of if you have guys like Richarlison and Walcott scoring. The problem is when Richarlison and Walcott aren't scoring and then Chink is just wasting chances like he did today, then you start to have to think about making a change earlier than you wanted to or 
sitting him down for a little while until he gets his confidence back. So the good news is he's not a total black hole in attack. Um, I think he has a great attitude. He's not the worst at, you know, trying to implement the high press, but the wastefulness in front of goal today, if he puts in that, especially particularly that chance from Denier, um, we could be talking about a different game. So, And I think it's important with Tosin to say that, you know, up until today, uh, his control of the ball, his distribution, and all, all those other little things had been very good, uh, and it just was the scoring that wasn't going right. Uh, all the other little things today were also dreadful from him. Uh, you know, every touch it felt like from him, uh, was wayward. Obviously, it was the pass into him that led to the break on the first goal. Um, and obviously, I, I don't, that's not representative of the player that he is, but it was what it was today. And I think if you're looking for, for a goat, for somebody to, to really, uh, kind of throw some of the blame on his inability to help the team keep the ball in more advanced areas and to move the ball around uh, was a big part of the struggles today. There was also um, that chance where he ended up taking a fairly tame shot right at Fabianski, where I think Walcott was pretty upset with him and not playing it into to his feet, uh, which, you know, six, one half dozen, the other don't necessarily mind you taking that shot, but if you're going to take it, it's got to be a lot better than straight at the keeper. Yeah. yeah. And Go ahead, I was Ryan. actually, I was actually watching, I had it up on replay just now, but, and the big problem is playing Walcott is a decision you make about 30 yards out in this case. And he was wide open and yeah, the defenders were standing off check, but he had, I believe it was Sigurdsson kind of in front of him that really couldn't, you know, it was almost Sigerson leading the run, sank behind him, and then Walcott out wide. And if he, if he slides that ball out, I mean, Walcott can take a shot. He can even slide it back because it was a three-on-two. But that Chenk's just not making the best decisions either, and that's where it starts to hurt. You know, yeah, he's still getting into good spots like that. Uh, it was a tame header, but... That was a very good spot to get in on the crosses and, you know, a few other opportunities. But when you're not making those good decisions, especially that far out, it's problematic. It's one thing if he goes, I'm going to shoot, I'm in the 18 instead of passing. And I'm never going to blame a striker for that. But in this case, yeah, not good. Yeah, and I mean, and you could tell as soon as he picked that ball up, you know, I'm sure we were all screaming at our respective TVs, you know, play Theo, play Theo. I know I was anyway, um, but you never really got the sense he was going to. And it's not the first time this season that he's picked the ball up in a similar spot to that with a similar opportunity to pass. And he's just put his head down and said, you know, screw it. I'm going to score here, um, which when it's coming from a confident striker, you, you, you kind of like it. Uh, but you get the sense in this this instance with him, it's more screw everybody else. I need to score to remember that I know how to friggin' put the ball in the back of the net, and that obviously is a completely different proposition. Yeah, I mean, you get the sense that he's he's trying too hard to to get yeah. off the mark, and and the harder he tries, the worse it's getting. And the thing with Theo, it's not like it's Kevin Morales or Adamola Lookman over there. Like Theo's pretty consistent. I feel pretty good if you get that ball to him. He's obviously going to beat the defender there. 
And more often than not, he's probably going to put it in. So that's where I got pretty frustrated this afternoon with, with Chink, really, for the, the first time this season. You, you, do you guys think, I mean, there's been some talk of already because of Chank's lack of scoring that maybe uh, a change at the position, you know, Richarlison played the number nine role for Brazil, did pretty well. You guys think we stick with Chank, or do you think that maybe when Richarlison comes back, we see a little bit of a change in, in who plays where and maybe Chank getting dropped uh, for, you know, his lack of form in this game and, and, you know, his lack of scoring in recent games? I, I think that playing the number nine for uh, Brazil is uh, it's a slightly different proposition uh, <laughs> to playing it for Everton. Uh, you know, obviously there's a much different setup and a much different skill set around him in, with the Brazil team than with uh, with Everton. And I, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. To me, uh, if I'm going to make a change, I'm throwing Dom up top. Because when he's been in striker-like positions this year, so far he's been pretty good. It's just that mostly he's been shuffled out wide to the left because of the injuries to, to the wingers. And, I mean, Nias is also an option. Uh, but to me, it's it's if it's anybody that isn't Tosin, it's got to be Dom. Yeah, and looking at the schedule, it's funny because if we were like, if we were playing anyone but Arsenal, I would try Richarlison at the nine. But I've luckily got to watch Arsenal live for the film review this week. And honestly, I'm running Richarlison out wide. I'm putting Dom up top and I'm putting Theo out on the right. And if you can swing a 4-3-3, maybe you risk it, but I'm at least going with those guys out wide because Arsenal's outside backs suck. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. I mean, if if we had Lukaku still, this this would be a like three one type game in favor of Everton. So you if you can try to recreate that a little bit, like that's what I do. But in terms of Fulham, which is the week after, I you know, I wouldn't be a, opposed to that. With Richarlison yeah, I, at the nine. I think, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about Arsenal later, but the the idea of putting Calvert Lewin up top and flanking in with uh, Walcott and Richarlison, there's an opportunity there to run Arsenal's defenders just absolutely ragged. Um, but Nacho Monreal, not good. Um, you know the other guys that they have in there, Mustafi and even Hector Bayarin is not what he used to be. Um, that's going to be pretty interesting. I wouldn't mind seeing Silva try to turn that into a little bit of a track meet because I think we might have an advantage there. And honestly, that would have been a great option for today, for Sunday. I mean, you, with that speed, we, Digne had miles of time down the left. If Coleman had been healthy, probably would have had the same down the right. And if we had tried to play that speed, plus Calvert Lewin, I think is much better with your high press. Yeah. And yeah, that Jenkins. makes a lot of sense. So, you know. You could go that way, but it, it's a little bit of that. I think Silva's still trying to figure out what he wants to, or what's the best option, because we've seen probably what at least three or four different, I'll say, styles or plans so far this season, and I don't know that any of them have been. Ooh, yeah, that's what we want. 
Yeah, and, and I think that that ultimately speaks to uh, another issue that I, I know uh, I was talking to, to Chris about earlier today, and, and I know Brian is something that you wanted to talk about as well, uh, that, that we've kind of gotten ourselves back into this old, familiar and unpleasant place where we get the ball into the central third and Ghana has it, Schneiderlin has it, or whomever the, the case may be, or the fullbacks, uh, and we just don't know what to do with it from there. I always joke that they should build a statue of Leighton Baines outside Goodison to thank him for his time with the club. And it should be with him, uh, his arms raised looking around confusedly because he doesn't have anybody to pass the ball to. Uh, and it was exactly what we saw today where West Ham was pretty content to let us have it, you know, in the middle third. And we just had no way to get the ball from the midfield to the front four. Yeah, and and that's just it, Everton's in that point, and I think we talked about it two, three weeks ago, where you have a certain level of ability, and it's that you know a best of the lower part of the table mm-hmm. talent, which is really great if you're going to play a counterattack or moving forward. But when you have all of that possession and you just want to set up shop, we don't have that creativity to unlock a defense, you know, and you see it without Richarlison at least. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, I don't know how much he would help because one of the big problems you run into is we kind of set up, you know, your center back midfield, your defensive mids or, you know, midway and everything. And everybody just kind of cycles the ball back and forth. We don't have that ability to kind of check in, check in off of the center back into the midfield to get the ball, play it in there, and then move from there. It, it's really that, you know, as much shit as everyone gives Arsenal for all the little passing and never being able to make that final ball to attack, you know, we don't have any of that. And if we could have a little bit of it, it would really help. But and I'm not sure. I don't think that's that's not Sigurdsson's thing. He's definitely more of a, I'll say, during play, not quite in transition. But it's it's that ability to play off people when they have their back to goal. Not necessarily a striker, but also the midfielders and how the whole system works. And we just don't do that. Yeah, I, I, and. and... We saw today Ghana was not exactly uh, fantastic today when passing the ball. Missed a lot of, like, very key passes that, you know, seemed pretty easy to just, you know, a nice pass in the middle of the field would go errant and it would just go all over the place and, and all our constant attack would be ruined um, just by a simple pass that was not made by Ghana, which was kind of the story of, of that midfield today. Um, and... and, and you guys have talked about this a little bit, but, you know, that front four being extremely stagnant, that's, you know, you guys believe that's because of the, you know, that, that midfield and not being able to go forward, correct? You know, there's no – not being able to transition from offense to, or from defense to offense well, um, and I, have I, that guy in the middle. It's it's a give and take. Um, I think that you need – we needed more movement than we got from those guys up top. Um, to to try to work open, but again, 
when with the sub that Silva made when he made it to to take out Schneiderlin and bring on Bernard, who was pretty good, not not knocking Bernard at all. He's definitely lively. He's definitely um, somebody that will be in the rotation going forward. But once you take out Schneiderlin, the only midfielder left to kind of sit sit deep in front of the back four and look for the pass that's going to break things from the middle to the attacking third uh, was Ghana. And that is not really a recipe for success. God, God love him. He's a lot of things. A, a deep line distributor, just not one of those things. It's no. it's a little bit of a, a two sided problem because the forwards have to give Ghana some somebody to pass to, right? But then Ghana has to complete the pass, which was also a problem today. And then you ca- you kind of come full circle and think, well, if Silva removes. Ghana instead of Schneiderlin, we still have somebody with them who knows how to pass the ball in the midfield. So it's kind of, for me, it's a little bit all intertwined and unfortunately a little bit preventable as well. Yeah, yeah. and the, the only thing with taking Ghana out and to, to Brian's point earlier about the press, if you want to continue to try to press high and, and force turnovers and generate chances that way, you, you can't have your lone true central midfielder be be Morgan Schneiderling. Uh, so you, you've got to you've got to pick a a direction at that point. And he went that he went the way that, that he went. But you're right; it would have required a, a bit of a change in in game plan. But I do wonder if Ghana off for Bernard and leaving Schneiderlin in gives us a different uh, a, a different look going the rest of the way. Hello, yeah. Andre Gomez. Yeah. And yeah, and that's also that. <laughs> that's the thing too, is because the problem you end up, I, I think Ghana was very effective because he was getting the ball partially because of the press, but also just, I mean, that's Ghana. The, yeah. But then it ends up with if he has the ball and he can't immediately get it to somebody quick, you know, whether it's Walcott, Schneiderlin, or Sigurdsson, it's well, you've lost that advantage. So whether it is, you know, maybe it's Bernard or Gomez or you know, something to address in the transfer market, but someone with that motor, but a little bit better at unlocking that ball, we would have had West Ham on the ropes. The but other I'm, thing... I'm proud of you for not saying Tom Davis. I just wanted to point that out. I was worried you were <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I it would have been interesting to see Davies just because in with the benefit of hindsight, how inaccurate Ghana was... But I don't know, you know, it's one of those, okay, maybe Davies has a phenomenal day passing the ball, but it's I wouldn't expect every that. three months game where he looks like he's a first team Premier League player. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but the other thing, uh, you know, Schneiderlin, the problem you run into is we didn't, we didn't necessarily need that middle third to attacking third as much. Like give, it would have been nice. It would have solved a lot of problems. But once we were getting established, we needed that almost more creative Sigurdsson, if you will. Yeah, and, and I like Sigurdsson, but he's just not – he's not that guy that's going to receive the ball with his back to goal, have the ability to turn, maybe beat the guy, or see that ball off to the side. And honestly, Rooney did it well when he didn't have to run 20 yards uh, last year, but it was a very limited you know, time that's about all because – <laughs> right. It, it was that problem of running. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but. Well, and going forward, uh, just you know, to add to that, and, and one player that I thought was good going forward, and I, I don't know how you guys felt, felt about this, was Lucas Digne, who I across in, um, you know, he did a good job of play, you know, playing a good ball in and creating something for the, the you know, forwards and, and wingers to get ahead on. What do you guys think now, though? Do you think that he is, um, you know, do you think that he is the the person at left back now? Do you think he's the guy or think Baines comes back in? Uh, he's, he's the guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I love Leighton Baines, and I thought that folks before the season were a little premature to uh, to write him off. And, you know, I thought Baines, he's been okay. But uh, the idea that, that I think a lot of us were sold not having seen a whole lot of him was that he would be better defensively but not as good going forward uh, compared to Baines. And he's looked great going forward, as as you've rightly said, Gino. So, you know, I think that, that debate's pretty much done and dusted. And it's really kind of sub- – it's surprising how quickly it's done and dusted. I have not, I, between the last two games, I'm ready to go ahead and build that Bane statue and kind of be done with it. Yeah, no, agreed. And I'm really excited. I'm assuming this weekend we're going to get to see Tinye and Richarlison on yeah, the same on that side. Same wing against Hector Bayerin. <laughs> <laughs> That that'll be it. That'll be a nice, a welcome sight, considering how the last couple games have gone. Um, you know, but maybe guys... uh, maybe uh, Richarlison and Denier can put uh, Bayerin's career out the pasture like Lukaku ended Monreal's a couple of years ago. See, you would <laughs> say that about Monreal, except he'll probably start at left back for Arsenal, so he's somehow still there. <laughs> and meanwhile, Theo Walcott's just like, oh, yeah, Theo Walcott knows better than anybody. Oh man. I'm ready. <laughs> well, we'll get to all that in a little bit, but just to finish off this West Ham analysis, uh, just real quick, guys, thoughts on how Pickford played today and has been playing so far this year. Um, you know, he's had a bad decision that uh, led to the second goal, I believe it was. Um, Brian, we'll go to you with this one to start off. How do you feel Pickford has played this year? Maybe woke up hangover. Um, has he really been as good as we, or he should be? I, I think the big problem, you know, every mistake he's made has been a mental, I'll say, non-shot-stopping mistake. You know, so it's playing the ball in a bad position, playing out of the back, that type of thing. But I think part of why we're down on him is because there really haven't been a huge number of, I'll say, savable shots. You know, it, it's kind of the the ball goes straight to him, he doesn't have to move, or it's, you know, like the second goal where you're like, I don't care who you are, even Courtois is not saving that with his height. Um, it's just, it, it's kind of no in-between, and because of that, he hasn't been able to steal a game. You know, he's had some very good saves that have helped, but, you know, last year, I feel like he had, he stole maybe five or six games with saves. And because that hasn't happened, we're a little like, mm. but 
to me, that's not on him. You know, he's also, what is he, 23, 24 at this point? And sounding alarm bells. No. But but it's more the mental stuff. It's just one of those you're like, hey, that's going to happen. It's also a risk you get when you're asking your goalie to play out of the back almost exclusively. Something which I don't really agree with in this game, but I be- that appears to have been their the coaching staff strategy. But yeah, and a couple a couple of other quick things on Pick- Pickford. One, we all collectively got watched his tires get pumped relentlessly at the World Cup, and w- for a perfectly good reason. But I think that may contribute towards um, perhaps inflated view of what we were expecting at least to start the season. And the other thing with Jordan is that he gets mad at his defenders on a regular basis, which is fine. I get mad at them too. And then he gets aggressive. Like on the pass today that led in the second goal, he's trying to hit Lucas Denier on on a ball on the ground a million miles away that he should have never tried, and it just didn't come off. And then two seconds later, it's in the back of the net. So I think, it, it like Brian was saying, it's it's a mentality thing. Um, and brain farts, for lack of a better term, more than a regression in overall ability. Yeah, and I think to to Brian's point about the the savable shots, I mean, when you think about it, most of the goals that we've conceded this year have been set pieces on just absolute monstrosity defending from his guys where, you know, guys have gotten free headers from five yards out, so he's never going to save them, or just dopey defending uh, like we've seen from, well, more guys than we'd care to have with how many guys we've had to rotate in at center back. So I, I agree with you on that, that, uh, he hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't had a chance necessarily to prove his worth as much as, uh, as much as in, in last year, because when his defenders make mistakes so far this year, boy, howdy, did they make mistakes. Yeah. yeah and I think the, lack of uh, a consistent center back partnership uh, so far this season probably doesn't bode well for a goalkeeper not knowing who he has in front of him um, and stuff like that and like really being able to have chemistry with those players and know what they're going to do when they're going to do it um, so that probably also plays a part into you know uh, just some plays that I think you know where where defenders may make a motion and, and let somebody through and Pickford's obviously not ready for it or whatnot. Um, and, and, and I think maybe a consistent center back partnership, maybe when Michael Keane and Yari Mina are actually able to play for us may also help out uh, Pickford a little bit more as well. Um, but moving on now, it's from West Ham onto something that we've all discussed in the uh, Royal Blue Mercy group and something we wanted to expand on here. Um, the Everton Academy and really what's going on with it. And, and Adam, we'll go to you on this one uh, just to really explain kind of what we're going for here. So uh, it's something that, uh, as Gino said, that the group of us has has kind of talked about a lot, that over the last three or four years, we've had a lot of kids in the either coming directly from the Everton Academy or, or young kids bought uh, from elsewhere and, and put into the Everton youth system. Uh, who were coming in, you know, really highly touted. Uh, and so far, the return on those guys has been 
pretty you know pretty middling uh obviously the the biggest name uh among the the players out of the Everton youth setup uh, of of late is uh Ross Barkley who uh well, I don't know if anyone's had the pleasure uh, in the opening weeks of the season to watch him play for Chelsea because Chelsea had no other options in midfield. But, uh, boy, howdy, I don't know what happened to him, but he is just bad. Well, that, um, that's kind of the problem that you're getting at, right? He's still the best Everton Academy product since Wayne Rooney. Like, yeah, that's... and, and it's, it, it's not – if we're talking pure Academy uh, product – uh, then, then yeah, you know, the you could probably argue that the best youth system, somebody who spent time in our younger ranks, uh, is probably John Stones. But again, Stones, while he was at Everton, was never really quite as good as we thought he was. <laughs> and then he, he moved. He, moved he had a one the great year. System. Yeah, he he did. Not not that he was bad, but he yeah. moved into. He moved to City. He moved to play with Pep Guardiola, who plays, you know, the platonic ideal of a John Stones center back system. And then he came forward. And and from there, we're left with guys that we see, you know, some of them who we see at Everton now, guys like John Joe Kenny, Tom Davies, uh, Mason Holgate, who you would have hoped by now um, we'd have seen more from. Uh, you know, not that we're expecting anybody to overnight become a superstar out of that group, but guys who, by this point in their career, you would have expected to see more from. And and I'm curious what you guys all think about when we look at guys in that group and guys like Adam Ola-Lookman, who's obviously got his whole separate set of issues, and, and Kieran Dow. You know, what what is happening where we're getting – we're seeing these young players – who have all this promise and it's just not translating the way that we might like it to, uh, to this point. I've got so, a name okay, and it's David Unsworth and uh, he should be fired. Like, okay. I, it's, Coming in hot. <laughs> I, the thing is you look at it, you notice that all of the players that have, we'll say done something. So Jack Rodwell, <laughs> who I would say is better than Ross Barkley and who has had a better career um, than Ross Barkley. But, you know, Rodwell and Barkley and some of these guys, they've kind of bypassed the U23s for, for a bit. And yeah. I think that's where, you know, if you're talented enough and you start to get a look, train with the first team, when you're really younging and don't go into the U23s, you don't have the, we'll say, tactical depression in your mind that the U23s seem to bring about. I think that's a good term, and I think that related to that, Unsworth's period in charge last season is kind of instructive here, right? Because that Everton side, the senior side rather, under Unsworth, very physically um, gifted. They will run all day. You never question the intangibles like heart and grit, and they seem to enjoy playing together and all these kinds of things. And they wouldn't know a tactics board if it hit them in the ass. And you kind of think that that's the the, the way that these players are coming up from the from the U23s. That trend is pretty evident. So I'm concerned that they're. I'm basically concerned that Unsworth's teaching them the wrong things because if you're physically gifted, that's not going to change for 
10 or 12 years. Like that's a replicable skill that you don't need to be taught any, any more. Um, so I, I just, I would like to see somebody who will pull the players aside and, and teach them the more technical and tactical aspects of the game. And I don't think that's happening right now. You know, and, and I think that it's, it's instructive for us to think uh, a couple of years back, uh, the, Everton U23 side won the Premier League two in, uh, in 2016-17. Uh, and that was a team that was, you know, under David Unsworth's, uh, tutelage. But you think about, you know, the guys who were on that team and that played a lot of minutes, you're thinking about guys like Brendan Galloway, Tyus Browning, uh, and then there's a whole list of other guys who have just kind of disappeared altogether. Uh, Played a, yeah, on the us played a lot for that team too. <laughs> but you think about like Callum, I, I've put a list together. So you've got Callum Dyson played a bunch for them. He's in League One. Gethin Jones played a bunch for them. He's in League One. Callum Connolly and Harry Charsley are both on loan in the championship. Liam Walsh is on loan in the championship. And it's at a point where these guys are hitting 21, 22. Tyce Browning is 24, if you can believe that. Um, that this is the time that if they were being taught properly at the U23 level that you would expect to see them developing. And there's just such a list of those guys for whom that is not the case. And it's troubling when you look at, you know, the, the way that Everton is kind of constructed right now is we've got this whole bunch of young players and, and then we've got about six old players who are, you know, holding important positions. You know, uh, Jags was obviously the case of one at, at center back and Bainsey at left back. Thankfully, Dinier's done well. But sooner or later, and probably more sooner rather than later, some of those guys are going to be called upon to step into the first team to replace some of the old guard. And I just don't know the extent to which a lot of those guys are ready because they look like they've never, ever fought the game in their lives before. And as Brian said, I think it's absolutely got to come down to Unsworth. Yeah. And you notice too, that the guys who have, I mean, uh, Holgate and Davies, but like the guys that seem to have success even elsewhere a little bit and are like a DCL, that type are forwards where, yeah, there's a tactical picture, but you know, it's not as critical. You know, if if you have that goal scoring ability, you're going to get on the field. In some way. Yeah. And I think that the, the one other piece to this that we haven't touched on, which I think is, is interesting, uh, is that Everton has also made a habit of trying to sign, you know, young players and, and work them through the system and get them in, into the first team. And, you know, we've seen Calvert Lewin. We've seen, uh, Adamola Lookman. We've seen, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of guys from that realm, um, where we, uh, we got Mason Holgate from the same club as uh, John Stones. Tried to, but yeah. you also that. think about guys like names that you probably haven't thought about in a while, like David Hennon, uh, Leandro Rodriguez. Remember Leandro Rodriguez and Bobby <laughs> thought he was going to be the next big thing? Uh, yeah, he's not, obviously. He's gone. Uh, <laughs> and that that not only you would suspect then is there an issue in development which there, I think we've kind of established there, there is, but there's also a scouting side of things as well that is something that maybe someone should be thinking about a little more uh, closely at the high levels of the club than maybe they are right now. 
Yeah, and another thing that's kind of interesting to me is you stop and kind of take stock of where the, these kids are going out on loan. Um, it's mostly League One or League Two, and occasionally in the case of like Anthony Robinson and Callum Connolly, the bottom reaches of the championship. Why is that? Like, are they're not they're not good enough for the upper reaches of the championship, or we don't want them to go there? But it's concerning to me that they're either not getting a good enough challenge while they're out on loan, or they're not good enough to play at a place like Fulham last season or Leeds United this season or someplace like that. And I think that um, we've kind of established that part of the issue that, that we're finding with these guys as they're coming out is that their tactical sense, their ability to understand the game is, is not great. And, well, you know, if <laughs> if you're going on loan to Wigan, who's, you know, probably going to be happy just to stay in the championship this year, well, you're not going to get a whole lot of tactical schooling there because it's going to be, you know, defend with everything we've got and try not to get relegated. And you don't learn the game that way. You learn to survive. And that's not something that Everton, you know, that's not the focus that you want to have coming back to a club like Everton as a player at that age. Well, yeah, so and, and, quick, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was just going to use a quick example. Um, Matty Pennington is on loan at Ipswich Town. And they are dead last in the championship, so 24th out of 24, with three points through seven games. Like, I, that's, that does not, that's not useful to me in terms of growing a young player. Now, Matty's a little bit older, and, you know, we can argue that he's probably done growing and that kind of thing. But all the same, is there any point to that besides getting him off the books? Like, I don't really think there is. Yeah, well, I, I think, all, I think, it's difficult too, because as we mentioned, you know, you have David Unsworth here with the U23s, and you know, we feel like he probably hasn't done a good enough job as as he should. But then you go out and and you loan these guys out, and they're going to these lower bottom teams. So right now, we're not doing anything right at that level, from what it seems like, and and it's showing certainly when the when the players get to this first team, like you said, because the tactic, the tactical, the, the the soccer IQ or football IQ, as as you would say, just doesn't seem to be there, and they're not able to, you know, make that transition in that sense uh, to the first team, and that's been detrimental for, you know, because it's important to have those young players growing through the team and going up through the academy and building some form of a relationship there where we can get good players out of our own academy as well. So hopefully. This will grow into we, something will get figured out here and we'll start getting these products who are supposed to be very good and, and when they come in are very good but don't seem to be producing as well uh, as they uh, are expected to. But moving from the academy on to Arsenal in the coming week, there's a lot to talk about here as well, a lot to preview. Um, let's talk about Arsenal first and uh, Brian. You've watched Arsenal, so uh, we'll go to you first here on this one. Played Newcastle on Saturday, played pretty well. Discuss kind of what you see in Arsenal and and for us going there uh, this weekend. Yeah, so, I mean, this was a classic, you know, tale of two halves game because first half, Arsenal looked like a team more in the bottom, uh, bottom part of the table. 
And then really they, it was, it was really just a free kick that they got from about, I don't know, 30 ish out that they built a nice free kick goal. And that just kind of started them up. From but, Granite Jaka. Let's, let's yeah. not gloss over that important detail. Granite <laughs> yeah. Jaka turned things around for Arsenal against Newcastle United. <laughs> let's just say that whole sentence and think about it for a bit. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was an ugly first half. I mean, it, it was a, hey, play the ball over. Newcastle basically wanted to play the ball over the top. Route one, run onto it. And it was, I don't want to say it was effective, but you could see Arsenal was very distressed and uncomfortable. And that's yeah, and I why I advocate for speed. Yeah, and you talked about the their fullbacks before, and I think that you're right uh, about their questionable nature. Um, uh, but I think it's also instructive to look at the center backs too. Uh, Socrates and uh, Shrakdan Mustafi, former Everton product Shrakdan Mustafi, um, who... When you get them in tight quarters, they're fine, but good gracious, they cannot handle speed. They really, really can't. And <laughs> I, I don't know how else to, to say it except to repeat it about eight more times, but they just, the, the pace is not there and they are absolutely, uh, able to, to give up chances just to simple balls over the top and we've seen it we saw it against Newcastle and we've seen it in other games this season as well and it that's really the issue that it comes down to yeah and what was interesting too with Arsenal's attack especially in the in the first half was they were just going down Newcastle's left down the uh, Arsenal right side and it it you could have had central midfielders with nobody within 20 yards and they were not swinging the ball to the middle. But then their one or two chances in the first half came because it was, hey, we're going to go down the left, our right side, and then we're going to swing it across. And when they did that, things opened up. And then you saw it more in the second half. I mean, the second half was basically their, their, I'll say, traditional arsenal plan of go wide, beat the defender, get right into the box, play it on the ground back towards the top of the 18, and create chaos. You know, and, and, and they do it well. And it's such an, an interesting group that this Arsenal squad has because uh, it, it looks like the, the setup up top that Unai Emery has, has settled on is Lacazette as the striker and then a, you know an attacking midfield three behind him that's got Mesut Ozil on the right, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on the left and Aaron Ramsey in the middle. And, uh, y- you know, you could probably argue that neither of the wide players are really true wide players. And Aaron Ramsey, who's playing the 10, is not really a true 10. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting fit. Obviously, it, it worked for them in the second half uh, against Newcastle. But Newcastle is also something of a dumpster fire right now. Um and I'm I'm interested to see for a full match what what that midfield three can produce. Although you could argue with the way our defense is trending that we are also a dumpster fire, so maybe it won't be as informative as we might like. Well, I think it's I think it's probably interesting to note that it looks like Arsenal's play improved when they took Ramsey out of the hole and replaced him with Mkhitaryan, who is much more of a, a true ten, mm-hmm. um, if you will. 
So, like, the 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 thing is, like, those players are not bad players. Uh, they just kind of lose a lot of their their punch when you you're looking at this lineup from the Newcastle match and everybody behind Lacazette in terms of that band of three are all one position over in terms of their natural fit. I, I don't understand, you know, I'm not really sure what what they gain from having Ozil on the wing and Ramsey in the middle instead of deeper in the park and that kind of thing. So it's a little bit strange. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how it shakes out. And to yeah. Brian's point before about the their fullbacks, you know, the, the only true winger that's that's really anywhere near this this first team is Alex Awobi, who uh, I know I don't I don't necessarily really fancy Alex Awobi. I think he's a decent player, but when you look at the other options that they have, he's he's not a starter, and that means that Monreal and Bayerin really have to get up the pitch to provide any kind of width. And when you do that, and then you're leaving two slow slow center backs at the at the back. There's a lot of space that you can exploit with speed, and I think Brian's right on it there. Yeah, and and I think with Arsenal, it, it's the same problem they've had for years now, is that they have a lot of similar players in the attack. Mm-hmm. And they... It's actually funny. I think we were... We were talking about it in Slack before the World Cup, you know, with France being less than the sum of their parts, partially because of coaching. Well, mainly because of coaching. And Arsenal kind of had that same feel, but I do think it's a more of a problem with Arsenal where they don't... They need a few specific skill sets. It's not so much quality of player, but they need some skill sets to do some different things and then fix the defense. Yeah, and and I think that France is kind of a, an interesting case study in that uh, because I think France, that French team, had you know had the talent at every position that they didn't need to be doing some of the weird things that they did, um, and you can put that on Deschamps insofar as you can put a put complaints to a World Cup winning manager. Um, but at Arsenal, it's a little di- more difficult for me to get on uh, Emery about this because you know he didn't put together this mess and there were. So many other holes, you know, the, in particular at, at center back alongside uh, Mustafi, he needed to, to bring somebody in. He needed to bring somebody in who could be the heir apparent to check, and he only had one transfer window. I, I don't want uh, my <laughs> hesitance at the way that this team is constructed to come off as criticism of Emery, who really is just working with what a presumably senile Arsene Wenger put together before he finally left. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. They, they, like you guys said before, you know, they did play Newcastle on the weekend, looked pretty good, but again, it is Newcastle, so it'll be, um, it, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Um, hopefully, you know, with Richarlison back, we'll get a little bit more going forward, uh, and, and really take advantage of some of the uh, the weaknesses of Arsenal's defense. But we're gonna go through this real quick right now. Some predictions from each one of you guys. Uh, Adam, we'll start with you. What do you think happens this weekend with Arsenal? Um, go for it. Oh, man, I don't want to go first. Ugh. <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think that we've seen two different Evertons this season. Uh, we've seen an Everton with Richarlison that is flawed but has a trump card that Richarlison at any moment can – 
do whatever it is that needs to be done to either get from the middle to the attacking third or to turn nothing into something in the attacking third. And I think getting him back is it's a huge deal. That said, uh, we just haven't looked like we've had any semblance uh, of a coherent game plan. And I think we'll be closer to that with Richarlison back and Silva having another week with the squad. Uh, but I just don't see us being able to put enough together uh, to to beat Arsenal and to stop leaking goals at the back. So I think I'm going to go uh, – I'll go a 2-1 Arsenal win. Uh, maybe Richarlison gets the goal. He definitely is a part of the setup for the Everton goal. Uh, and I think with his speed, <laughs> he'll cause problems for Arsenal's back line. But I just don't think that we can – consistently create chances away and I certainly don't have a whole lot of confidence uh in the team's ability to keep the ball out of the back of its own net right now real quick do we see a different center back pairing this week than we saw than we've been seeing or are any of the players going to be fit for this week are we are we assuming that maybe maybe Mina will have a chance to play or or Keen who's been doing everything but heading so far I would say if we see any changes, it's probably Mina on the bench. I think Keen is still maybe 10 days or two weeks out from that projected timeline, if I remember correctly. Um, I would probably, as much as I do want to change in defense, I also don't really think that I would be comfortable throwing Mina into the deep end away at Arsenal. Yeah, no, yeah, that's uh, fair, fair point. Fair point. All right, Chris, uh, back to you on this. Predictions? Uh, goals, a lot of them making us very uncomfortable and, you know, kind of watching between our fingers and possibly I'll turn off my TV at some point and then turn it back on later when I calm down. Um, I'm going to go with 3-3. I know that seems a little bit aggressive, but I've seen how both of these teams defend. And as Adam described to us, Richarlison is kind of the great equalizer. You know, he's not as talented as some of these world superstars like Ronaldo or like Messi or whoever you want to mention, but there's a certain sense where Everton are flailing and it's just like, let's just give this to him and let him fix it. Um, and that that's proven to work sometimes, but uh, there's no way we can keep the ball out of the net enough to, to come away with all three points in this one, I don't think. Brian? Yeah, I'm uh, – as much as I think Arsenal's there to be had – I just don't see us doing it, and I'm I'm kind of trending more towards like a three-one loss, just because I I easily see where either we score first or we tie it up, and then you know just bam, one of those Arsenal boom 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 goal, and we're all pissed. We 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 don't do a very good job of handling success uh, as a club <laughs> on the field. I think is part of the problem. I don't know that we do it in any aspect of the club. <laughs> well, even even when we do do it, we manage to realize that we're doing it and then make sure that we don't do it anymore. Uh, example, Huddersfield and West Ham at home the past few games. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I just want to make one more point on Arsenal, and I think we've we've kind of uh, talked around it. You know, on the whole, going forward the rest of the season, this Arsenal team is a team that is definitely you know up for the taking. A team that Everton should have eyes on finishing ahead of this season because they do have a lot of issues. Uh, obviously there's so many things that Everton needs to sort out in its own house right now that any thoughts that we had before this week of, of looking at Arsenal or other teams we could catch were, are now premature, but it, this is, this is a team that 
can be caught. And I think that it's a good litmus test for the Toffees at this point because if if we can't keep up with Arsenal right now, you know, then we're going to have to start thinking about realigning what the goals for this year might be. Just uh, just three points back. It's uh, six to nine currently in the table. Yeah. Well, guys, I'm in agreement. I'm not sure we can handle Arsenal on the weekend either. Uh, I think it's going to be a uh, w- one of the more frustrating games we'll have to watch. But hopefully, um, if that is the case, it gets better from there. It can only go up. So hopefully, so um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see how everything goes. That's all we got for you guys out there. Uh, today, today, uh, keep listening. School of Science Radio. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Um, and, and just let's hope for a more positive Everton going forward. 